November 7th, Flamestock on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Got a busy hour coming your way, including the Daily Flames roundtable a little bit later on, but it's a Tuesday, so let's kick it off by saying hello to our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli. Brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit South Trail Exports. My name is Pat Steinberg. We're here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. And now our NHL insider Frank Saravalli joins us from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Hello, sir. How are you today? I'm pretty good. How's the dome treating you these days? Oh, you know, it's uh, it's been an interesting time to cover hockey in the province of Alberta. So, you know, it's... Been a uh, it's been an interesting first month of the season. We'll definitely get to Edmonton, and uh, obviously lots of questions about what's happening with the Oilers, including some news earlier on Tuesday. But what's what's How your sick read are on Flames the... fans of talking about the Oilers or hearing about the Oilers? Well, I know or what? do they take a certain perverse? Uh, oh, more than a certain. Yeah. More, more than a certain. Uh, how about uh, endless? Boundless glee, uh, most Flames fans take in the way things have started in, in Edmonton. I, I'll, I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like there are many who take a great deal of joy in what they're seeing. Okay, I understand that. I'm from Philly, what, so uh, I get it. Exactly. See, like you, you, you understand. Um, I, I, and I'm, I'm definitely curious about some of what's happening in Edmonton. But I, I did, you know, because it hasn't been that much better here in Calgary. They have one mm-hmm. more win than the Oilers do. So neither team in this conversation has really done a whole lot impressive to start the season. I'm just, what's, what's your read on the first month of the season for the Flames? What you've observed? Who you've spoken to? I'm just curious as to what your read on how things have started here is. I mean, there's no doubt it's been incredibly disappointing. I think there's, you know, you you could probably take some perverse enjoyment in comparing the two positions that these teams are in today. But even in the long term, short term, long term, whatever it might be, you'd still much rather sign up right now, I think, to be... um, in the Oilers' shoes, even with all the work that they have to do to dig out. And that's not to compare the two. It's just that I think there's so many more fundamental, foundational, franchise-shaking questions about where the Flames are at, where they go next, and how they get there. And Mm -hmm. I think there's the potential, not just for activity, but I think there's really the potential for some excitement because – If I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, which I hope I am, I do think that there's sort of an internal push um, from Craig Conroy, from Jerome McGinley, and the management staff to really kind of think about this in a different way than has been approached in the last 10 years plus in Calgary. We've been using the term here in Calgary about you know, kind of feels like right now they're 
at a bit of a crossroads. They're they're in a situation where they've got a, a lot of decisions to make, a lot of, as you talk about, franchise-shattering or existential decisions to make, and they're mm-hmm. kind of in a pocket where they've got to make them here in the next little while. Is it? Does it feel like are, – are we overstating it in your eyes when we say no. we're talking about an organization at a crossroads? No, I don't think so because consider the moves made by, yes, partly a different regime last summer and yes, you know, sort of doubled down on this summer and given some room to grow and rebound to be a, a playoff contending team that hasn't happened. And I think it forces you to re examine or acknowledge that maybe this isn't what a lot of people thought it would be. Maybe this build does have flaws in it and that means trying to fix it. It means trying to do it differently. And it may not be, I, I don't think anyone is advocating or even thinking or contemplating really tearing it down to the studs. But I do think that there's a thought process of pick whichever R word you need to, to choose, retool, right. rebuild, uh, reshape, restructure, whatever it is. There needs to be a change in plan that sets this team and franchise on a different course for the next number of years. So what could, should, would that look like in your eyes? I think the easiest way to explain it is to take the pieces that you have now that have significant, real, tangible value and pushing those into the middle and auctioning them off to the highest bidder and then reassessing and, and not on a long-term basis. In fact, I'm, I would advocate on a short-term basis, given some of the other pieces that you have in place to maybe take some of those assets that you get in return and turn them around into more immediate help. So what do I mean by that? I'll give you a perfect example. Last year, the Vancouver Canucks trade Captain Bo Horvat to New York, and as part of that deal, they get a first-round pick. Before the deadline, in a surprising move to almost everyone, they send that first-round pick to Detroit in return for a top-four defenseman in Philip Hironik, who's not just fitting their age scheme, but also is a seemingly permanent partner for Quinn Hughes and has opened the year on a point-per-game pace. That's the type of move that the Calgary Flames should be looking at because I understand where they are in the standings now. I don't think they're going to be quite this bad all year. And mm-hmm. I think with the pieces they have in place with long-term deals, Huberto, Kadri, Uyghur, you could probably even include Markstrom into that category for a couple more years at least. They're not really going anywhere and they're probably not going to fall to the – like I don't think they're going to be in Macklin Celebrini range this year. Right. So if that's the case, and you're probably not going to be there for the years past, then find ways to reshuffle the deck and get a better mix, a different mix, a younger mix, and try and do that. Do you, I uh, call it the, the retool on the fly. 
Right, absolutely, which we've seen some teams do fairly well. I think the, the New York Rangers are an example who have done it in recent times and, and done it to a solid amount of success as well. Do you, do you get the sense that you know, Craig Conroy would have the go-ahead in being, being able to do that here? I think there's been enough of an upswell in the market, and I think there's been enough of eyebrows raised by virtue of things like not selling out opening night. Yep. That at least, I think, you know, at times, um, because we don't hear from him and see him often, people don't really know what to make of Mary Edwards. But from everyone that I've talked to, he's actually a pretty open-minded guy that if you've got a convincing argument, he's willing to give you the green light. And I think that enough has transpired between the start of this year, some somewhat sagging attendance, like nothing crazy red flags, but enough people in the market. Like it's not hard to take the temperature, listen to your show, listen to the text line, listen to, you know, Russick and Rose in the morning. You know, it's not, it's not hard to fathom where the bulk of this fan base wants to go. And I think they just want to see it differently. And I think you have to allow your new regime that you handpicked and with Craig Conroy having a, you know, a seat next to him in Jerome McGinley, like you've got to listen to these people. These are your experts. And I, I have a feeling that he will. We're chatting with Frank Saravalli. He is our daily face-off NHL insider. We talked we talked uh, fairly at length um, last week about you know what some of these deals could look like for the Flames, and so that's uh, that's an interesting one to watch, and it is something that we are all watching here in Calgary and and seeing how these next number of games go to potentially determine some of these decisions or determine a course for the team, and then and then there's Edmonton uh, who. Beat By the way, in- I, I just to put a bow on that, I, yeah, I don't think we're very far away from beginning to see some action in place. Okay. I don't know what the number of games is. I don't know who it starts with or when. Um, but I, I think this picture becomes more and more clear that at some point, basically what you're going to see is, is a – um, a notice that lets everyone know, hey, we're open for business. Okay. Okay. Well, and then there's the Oilers, who, first of all, make a fairly significant move on Tuesday afternoon by putting goaltender Jack Campbell on waivers. We'll get there specifically in a second, but I'll ask you the same question I asked you off the top about Calgary. What is your read? You're, you're probably as in tune uh, on that Oilers market from Philadelphia as anybody is anywhere. I'm just I'm, I'm curious as to what's your read on the first 11 games of the season for the Oilers and how things have gotten as dire as they are. I think they're really beginning to feel it and press. I think watching them unravel in Vancouver, uh, self-destruct. I mean, they played as perfect a 13 minutes to open that game as you probably could. And they only had one goal to show for a 19 to two shot advantage. Thatcher Demko is excellent. And for my money has been the number one goalie in the league this year so far. And one thing goes the other way. And they just, it was like, 
yanking at the thread on a sweater that just shriveled up. And that was concerning. I think they woke up today knowing that they had to do something. And the easy thing that everyone points to, and there's been lots of conversation about this over the last few days, fire the coach. Let this, you know, let this core off the hook again. It would be the next guy hired would be Ryan Nugent Hopkins, ninth coach in huh. 12 years. It's a lot. The much easier path is to send a shockwave through the locker room to try and jolt everyone. And that's Jack Campbell getting put on waivers. And here's the one thing you have to know about the Oilers is Jack Campbell is a really popular teammate. Everyone really likes him. He's, he oozes positivity. Yep. And they knew that if they, here's the funny thing. They're both, they've both been bad and the Oilers have the league's worst save percentage. It's actually below the Sharks which is crazy to think about for a team that gave up 10 in back-to-back games. Skinner has actually played worse statistically and eye test wise than Campbell this year, but the Oilers knew that Skinner wouldn't clear waivers. Not even, you know, not one chance. There might be five teams that put in a claim for Skinner Yep. because they all saw how he played last year and he's still young. He's actually younger than Joe Wall, who everyone considers the young new guy in Toronto. So they couldn't do that, but they could send Jack Campbell down to try and find his game because they know that no one's going to claim him with the term three plus years, almost four left on his deal at five million per. So they were kind of out of, you know, significant options in terms of really sending a message, but they're hoping that sending Campbell down today, uh, one allows Campbell to find his game some time. I think they're going to give him a few weeks down there, probably until December 1st or so. And then the next part is take some pressure off of Stuart Skinner. Probably not Thursday, but at some point, Cal Pickard's going to get a game and hopefully they can have him spur the team to one, two, three wins, something like that. And then Skinner grabs the ball again and runs with it. And so that part's going on in the goaltending. And then the rest is, can you give the 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 rest of the group a jolt because it's not just the goaltending that was poor the defense has also been pretty bad in front of him and he saw some key poor decisions and turnovers made um you know in in that game against Vancouver and part of that is yeah mistakes happen all the time in hockey but the tough part is the Oilers also weren't getting a save to bail them out at any point so far in the 11 games yeah. Is a coaching change a possibility? You you talked about, like, do, do you get the sense that that could be not that far off? Or I, I guess you could even ask something about the security of Ken Holland, the general manager right now. Um, I don't think Ken Holland is in the crosshairs, mostly just because this is the last year of his deal. Yep. And I don't know what that solves by tossing him out the window at this point this point i think they're in a spot where everyone's trying to figure out jeff jackson is the ceo of hockey ops moving forward he's going to be the guy that picks the next gm um he's going to be this guy when you know push comes to shove signing off on anything that happens now 
And so that part I think is kind of clear, but here's the real truth when it comes to not just uh, a coaching change or anything else, the longer this goes on, I think everything's on the table. I think you really have to consider um, doing some difficult or different things if they get to a spot 10 games from now and they're still in seventh place in the division. What type of, what type of different things? Well, I, I, uh, let's start with the goaltending. Uh, that is the easiest fix to me is to yep. get something competent in there. And in a perfect, perfect world, what you'd have is over the next eight or nine games in Bakersfield, Jack Campbell's away from the glow and spotlight of Edmonton and he finds something that gets him back to level ground. You can bring him back and you can send Cal Pickard back to the minors and you can go about your business and get back to normal. Or if he doesn't play well or pouts about being in the minors and doesn't want to be there, what you can do is essentially begin to make a lot of calls around the league and say, I've got to pay to get Jack Campbell's contract off my books because he still has like three point almost nine million dollars that's counting as dead cap space right now. Yep. Being in the minors. So that's it's not just you can't just park him in Bakersfield, set it and forget it. It doesn't work like that with today's cap. So that would be the first step, I would think, is trying to solve the I don't know if it's, you know, trying to get one of the guys out of Boston, which would be really expensive. Do you go after a John Gibson in Anaheim? Whoever it might be, you've got to find something that can help your team. That's, that's I think, would be the first priority. And then after that, I think you'd have to be looking at improving the defense core. And, oh, which team just happens to have a few surplus pending unrestricted free agents? Hmm. Yep. Last uh, last question about the Alberta teams, and and I don't even say this to to troll because I had them both as playoff teams as well, Frank. I know that you did when we talked before the mm-hmm. season. What what is your confidence level that that both Calgary and Edmonton can actually meaningfully get themselves back into the Western Conference playoff conversation? Um, if if the answer is if the question is, will both team what what percentage would I put on both teams finding a way to get in? I would have that around five percent, maybe okay. less. Yeah, which is which is probably fair. Just just based on math, I mean, look at like so the Oilers lost last night. They're eighteen points back of Vegas, fourteen points back of Vancouver, and eleven back of L.A. Those teams are. I don't want to say permanently out of touch, but you're closing in on it. Like we're, you're almost at that point now where in another six, seven, eight games, you're basically hoping, praying, wishing for a wild card spot, which is crazy to think about because part of the other thing that's been an interesting development this year has been, hey, Anaheim has been way more competitive than a lot of people thought they would be. Yep. Um, the Kraken are kind of hanging around. And then in the Central, you've got a whole mismatch of teams. Like St. Louis hasn't been terrible. Arizona's been fine. Nashville, like they're all, Minnesota probably will play better. Like there's going to be some stiff competition, I think, mathematically, just to get in the second wild card spot. I think, 
I, I have less, much less faith in the Flames. Um, and I think part of that is just an eye test thing. Like, I think there's been stretches where the Oilers have dominated and they've absolutely shot themselves in the foot. We've really kind of yet to see that from the Flames, where from, like, you 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 come away from a game and you're like, that's it. We saw, like, for 13 minutes today, we saw that team be what they could be. And I think that part has been hard to, like, you're, you leave head-scratching watching the Flames because – I think myself and everyone else included thought this team would rebound and Mm -hmm. thought that there's enough special pieces to really do some damage and be competitive. And I just, I've yet to see it on any basis that I'm like, that's, that's the secret sauce. We're chatting with Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk. I will say I'll take the early season L. I wasn't I wasn't willing to do it two or three weeks ago, but I'll I'll take the early season L on the Canucks. You uh you you and I talked about that before the season. They they've impressed me, man. They they're playing some they're playing some good hockey. I did not I did not expect it from them, but they they uh I'll I'll go uh tick in the Saravalli box on that one because they they've been impressive, man, and they were they were impressive again thanks to Thatcher Demko primarily but also more than just that even on Monday against Edmonton they uh I'll give them a salute they've been playing well it's kind of it actually drives me crazy about the way we cover this sport because by nature of what you do like you're in Calgary so you're you're on flames talk and we're gonna have so much talk about the flames and then it's like okay let's poke some fun at the Oilers and okay that's fine But then all of today's conversation nationally was really kind of driven by the Oilers and how disappointing they've been. And it's like almost at no point today did anyone stop and say, hey, maybe the Canucks are actually just really good. And I think that's, you know, we kind of drift towards negativity um, because people get excited by that for whatever reason. The positive side is boring at times. But the Canucks have been... I mean, as probably as good as they could be. Demko, Vezina leader for my money. Yeah. Quinn Hughes, Norris leader for my money. And then up front, Pedersen's been good. Miller's been great. You see, like last night, Pew Suter has goals in three straight. Like they're getting all these different contributions. And will all of that last? Maybe not. But even just from a pure math perspective, like, they're almost going to have a hard time with the start that they've had missing the playoffs now. Yeah, they've put themselves in that situation, which has not been the way the last couple of years have gone in Vancouver. It's been the opposite. Um, is San Jose the worst team in NHL history? They're going to give it a run for the money. I they mean, sure are, it feels like. We've, got, we've had some bad teams like before your time, before my time. Um like I think of those early Caps teams, was it eight wins, eight and yeah. seventy-two, eight and seventy-three or four? Yeah, like it was bad, and they were celebrating by hoisting the uh, the the garbage can over their heads on the ice, like it was the Stanley Cup. That's how bad it was. Are we there? Potentially, but I don't know. We've got a long way to go. Can this team get to 15 wins? I'm not certain that they can. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I don't I don't blame you on that one. Um, 
And lastly, what what's going on in uh, in Carolina with their goaltending situation? So there's uh, we got a Freddie Anderson update this week, and we also found out that uh, Yarrow Halak's going to try out there while Freddie's recovering. What do we know about what's happening between the pipes in Carolina? Well, Carolina is the answer to a an unfortunate trivia question, which is you've got the Oilers last in the league in save percentage. And I already told you that the Sharks are 30th. And congratulations, Carolina, you are 31st. So you are also behind the San Jose Sharks, which is no place <laughs> in any category that you'd want to be. Yeah. And I think the shark or not not the sharks the hurricanes have been in a really interesting spot the last few weeks not only have the results been poor but obviously anderson's health issue has been there it seems like every time you turn around anti ranta has a health issue and they get piotr kochetkov in there who was one of the great stories of the nhl the last couple years He's made two starts, and he can't stop a puck. 11 goals against in two starts. So it's been tough to, to fathom. You think at some point that they'd rebound. But I think what they've also been in the mix for, at least what I'm told, is trying to wiggle one of the third goalies out from a couple of the teams that have had three goalies on their roster all year. And I think the team that they honed in on for a while was the Montreal Canadiens. But the Canadiens are not relenting to that pressure because they haven't seen Carolina step up yet and make an offer that they deem acceptable. So that kind of has been at a standstill. And then they're testing the waters this week with Yarrow Halak to see if the 38-year-old has anything left in the tank as he's continued to train in the Boston okay. area. Frank, great hit. Appreciate it as always, man. Uh, some real good insight in there. We'll do it again next week, but uh, really appreciate you doing this today. Thank you so much, man. Have a good one. Enjoy the game. Thank you, Frank. Frank Saravalli, our NHL insider from Daily Faceoff and dailyfaceoff.com. He joins us Tuesdays, and he joins us brought to you by Self Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit selftrailexports.com. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time now for a Tuesday edition of our Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. It's Pat Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. Uh, gents, well, Derek, you were uh, listening in earlier this hour when Frank was on with us and, and talking about the crossroads that the Flames are at right now and the situation the Flames find themselves in. Guys, are we, just quickly, um, yay or nay, am I overstating it? when I say the Flames are at a crossroads? Just a quick yay or nay? Nay. Yeah, I'm also a nay. Okay. So, so we're all on the same page naysayers. there. Um, we're all a bunch of naysayers. <laughs> um, so we know they're at a crossroads. 
Frank talked about the potential of reloading on the fly and, and going about business that way. Some want a full rebuild, and some think that just continuing on and, and re-signing some of their guys and, and showing more faith in this group is the way to go. I, I, I think that's the minority of people, that last option, but I, I don't know. I can't, I can't gauge that 100% accurately. But what, what is, if they're at a crossroads, and I know that we don't have all the information yet, but what is the best road forward here for a Flames team that has a couple of forks in the road in front of them? Well, for me... The path I would absolutely not take is a full rebuild. I just I don't believe in it, especially with the group of players and the commitments to contracts the Flames have right now. And I think the team up north is a great example. So since 2010, the orders, and this is for all the people out there who believe, and I've seen a lot of it out there, we need to get a top five pick. If we get a top five pick, it's going to be great. Everything is going to be fixed. No, I don't believe that to be the case. And I'm adamant about that because the orders have had since 2010, nine top 10 picks and four first overall picks. And you could argue that if you were to redraft 2014, Leon Drysaddle would go first overall for me. There's no ifs, ands or buts about that. And where are they? They're behind the flames in the standings. Do they have more talent? You could argue they do. They've got, a number of generational players, but at the end of the day, that hasn't resulted in more wins for the Oilers than for the Flames this season, and one or both of the teams could turn it around. We'll have to wait and see. As for sticking with this group, that's what I would do for the remainder of the month unless there's another lengthy losing streak. You've got uh, a bunch of big games coming up, 12 games in total before the end of November. If you lose eight of them, then I think you have to look at a re retool on the fly, as I think Frank put it. And potentially moving on from guys who are unrestricted free agents at the end of the season. And Pat, to your point, for me, yeah, first-round picks are great, but I think you need more than that. I think you need to get some somewhat known quantities back in those deals as well. Instead of just buying a bunch of lottery tickets that may work, that may not work, chances are if you're trading a guy like Elias Lindholm, it's going to be to a contending team that isn't going to be getting uh, a high first-round pick or even a mid-first-round pick. It's going to be a late one. So for me, that's rolling the dice. So I want to see what this team does between now and the end of November. They can win this game against the Predators tonight, start a winning streak, Take two out of three on the road, which I think is possible against the Maple Leafs, Senators, and Canadians. Go from there. They've got some tough games coming up before the end of the month, and I think we're going to know a lot more about this team by the end of November. But right now, it's still too early for me to, to press the blow-it-up button. I, I think where I come down on this is, is that I, I'm... I guess all for an organic rebuild. And what I mean by that is if your team finds the bottom, then you have to react accordingly. It, it's too early in the season to, I think, totally react to the fact that they're in 30th overall. But if this, if this team continues to scuffle, then I think rebuild is the way to go. And while I understand that the Oilers are the cautionary tale, if you look at the flip side of the 
equation, the teams that are winning Stanley Cups have done it with guys who have been top five picks, right? The Colorado Avalanche win a Stanley Cup in large part because of Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr. Miko Rantanen. Right, Miko Rantanen. The the Tampa Bay Lightning win Stanley Cups with Victor Hedman as their best defenseman. I mean, you can go you can go further. Steven Stamkos. Right, you yeah. can you can go further back. And so while it's not uh, an immediate, hey, it's not a get out of jail free card. You can ask the Buffalo Sabers who have been rebuilding for a decade now. It's not a guarantee that those top picks are going to make you better. If you organically become one of the worst teams in the league then stay at the bottom and get the picks. But I also don't think that you ship every single guy out the door and all you're looking for are lottery tickets, as you put it. The Where rebuild, and I always kind of laugh at, at how there's these different terms that mean very close to the same thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, where rebuild and, and retool intersect is you try to get younger and you hope through that it makes you better. You find the guys who you think can be helpful in a rebuild. The veteran guys who you think can be part of the path forward. You figure out who wants to be a part of it and who doesn't. But I think the Flames can, without signing anyone to an extension, see organically where this group goes in the next couple of months. I just think if what it's showing you is that we're not making a climb in the standings, you have to be ready to embrace it. Uh, There's a a few different roads to go down because I'm not as the Oilers are not that far removed from being in the final four like they've they've gotten to a Western Conference final with this group and Connor McDavid looked like the like the all-world human being en route to that Western Conference final the last two years they've lost out to the Stanley Cup champion in competitive series against Vegas and, and Colorado in the second round and, and Western Conference final. So, I mean, they have had, I think, significantly more success than the Flames have had, but I also think that they do remain a cautionary tale because they have not won a Stanley Cup with all those picks, and they currently sit 31st in the NHL um, going into Thursday's game with San Jose, which I'm very, very morbidly curious about. <laughs> um, but I think... So we're now at 93 games of this group going back to last year. The, the, the new core of Jonathan Huberdeau, Mackenzie Wieger, Nazem Kadri. You throw in Lindholm and Hannafin and Andersley. This new group, 93 games. And they missed the playoffs in a really frustrating year last year. And they're sitting 30th in the NHL through 11 games this year. Now, I'm not ready to make a definitive decision on what they are personally yet right now either. But I do think we're in that pocket where we're getting pretty close to it. And I, I think like it would have to be a resounding rest in November for me to really be back on to the and, and I'll be the first to admit that I, for the longest time, all throughout the summer, was very adamant about re-signing Elias Lindholm, and that's the way to go. Well, my tune has changed. The, they didn't sign him, and the start of the season happened the way it did, and I'm like... Phew. It's a good thing they didn't because that would have locked them into even more potential mediocrity. And I guess 
That is the number one thing that I think is most important, is that they have to do something. And maybe it is the group that is assembled right now. So when I say they, it's not just Craig Conroy. It's not Murray Edwards. It's just somebody involved in what happens on the ice has to do something to get out of this mushy middle that everybody is tired of. And maybe that is these players showing the type of promise that we were all really excited about going back to the summer of 2022 before that season began. I don't know how confident I am that's going to happen, but maybe that does happen. Or maybe it's Craig Conroy and company taking stock of where they're at and saying, okay, this group isn't it. Yes, we're tied to contract A and B, but we've got an opportunity to trade Noah Hannafin, trade Elias Lindholm, trade Chris Tanev, make some really savvy, pragmatic deals, weaken our team right now, and if the byproduct is a top five pick, the byproduct's a top five pick. I, I, I think we're all in agreement that like going for like actually going out of your way to try and do that is not something that this organization is going to do. Um, and, and probably something this organization shouldn't do. But I do think that they have got to do something to pivot to get out of the middle and be out of this situation where, okay, are you going to finish 8th in the conference? Are you going to finish 10th in the conference? Are, are you really, if the Flames make the playoffs, do we really believe they're a Stanley Cup contender? Like, turn yourself into something more than just a maybe team. And, and so I'm curious if it's the players assembled right now who can do that or if it does have to be management who makes those decisions of, of whether or not they go in that direction or not. Well, and what I would say is, is the players are helping make the decision by whatever the on-ice performance is over the next mm-hmm. couple months. If this team does not really pick up steam, I think the message to management is is clear. We, we can't go forward with this core the way we've had it because for a season and change, and by the time this decision maybe gets finalized, it becomes a season and a half, it hasn't. We haven't seen it work yet, so you can't just keep trotting out the same core. And and I guess if there's optimism, it's that those expiring contact, contracts give you an opportunity to start a shift in direction. I am not for a full blown rebuild. I'm not. I, I can give you as many examples, probably more examples of it not working than it working. And. The other thing that I would be fearful of, and I think the Sabres are a great example, they tried really hard to get the first overall pick in 2015 to get their hands on Connor McDavid. They didn't. They got Jack Eichel, pretty good player, who they got a good return for when they traded him to Vegas. But I think it completely ruined the culture there. They had that loser mindset. And I think it's taken them a long time to try to to turn that around. And this year, they're a 500 hockey club. And yeah, they got a lot of good young players, a bunch of former first overall picks. And I do think they're on the right road, but it's taken them a long time to get there. How many times have the Coyotes blowing it up? And are they any further ahead? Maybe, maybe not. They're not a good team yet, I can tell you that much. Now, a retool, and I do think there's a difference for me between a rebuild and a retool. If... You've just decided you've got to shake up the core and that you've got to punt on this season. So, and maybe you've heard from some of your pending UFAs that uh, we're not really interested in signing a long-term extension with the way this season has gone. Well, then I think you're almost forced to go in the direction of a retool. But if the Flames win tonight, 
they could be two points out of a playoff spot. So it's not like this season isn't salvageable. But with that said, last season, they had three, three game winning streaks. Three. That ain't going to cut it this season. They're going to have to stretch some, some winning streaks together. Maybe starting with, with one that began in Seattle on Saturday and hopefully will, will become a two-game, not a Pat winning streak, but a, a two, win, two wins in a row uh, versus uh, Nashville tonight. We'll have to wait and see. But I still think that talent-wise, Flames have enough to, to be competitive in the regular season and in the playoffs. We haven't seen that in the first 11 games, but if your mindset during the offseason and even earlier this season was, we, we want to re-sign our, our pending UFAs. We want to re-sign Michael Backlund, which they have, Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, uh, Nikita Zadorov, Chris Tanev, or most of those players. And an 11-game sample size has completely swung you the other way. I just don't think it's a big enough sample size yet, guys. And, and I think that's fair. I think what we're, you know, what what a lot of people are vouching for is, hey, okay, push pause on any extension. That's off, fair. As we know, they have, you know, don't don't let the eleven games take you the other direction, in the sense of saying, well, the sooner we get all these guys signed, then the distractions are gone, and we'll, mm-hmm. you know, you have to look at the lack of results albeit a small sample size, you have to look at the lack of results on the ice and wonder if you can keep banging your head against the same wall. The only, and I, to, to play devil's advocate on this one, because I, I go back and forth with this conversation, but to play devil's advocate on this one, Wilsey, you, you mentioned I can give you way more examples of rebuilds that don't work than do, which could be fair. But can you give me more Stanley Cup champions that haven't rebuilt than have and that to me is where I really what that's that's where I really start to wrestle with it in my mind I take a look at you know Vegas is a unicorn they've been in the league for five years or whatever it's been they haven't had to rebuild yeah they kind of built yeah they just built I just just existed I saw them live on Saturday night boys that hockey team is so scary good right now but you've got Colorado went through a full-on to the studs, like puke-worthy stretch, um, and you obviously had Chicago and Pittsburgh and Washington. So, sorry, and just Boston. on the Avalanche. Sorry to interrupt. They already had a lot of good pieces in place, and then they hit rock bottom. Remember, but they, they did, already had Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen, and then they had that what forty-three point season or whatever it was, and then they added more to that group, right? Yes, and I mean. But, I mean, you think about Rantanen was a fourth overall, I think. McCarr was a third, fourth overall. And McKinnon was a first overall. And Landeskog like, was a top three pick. And Landeskog was well. a top three pick, too. Like they, so, and the only reason I bring that up is because you can point to St. Louis, and, and St. Louis is a. But I, far more Stanley Cup champions have built through having those type of players than not. And that's where I'm like, okay. What is the end goal here for the Flames? Is it not to win a Stanley Cup? Mm-hmm. And so that that's just me being devil's advocate. Because you're right, Buffalo, or Florida for the longest time, Arizona, Detroit, we have no idea. Ottawa. Like, lots of rebuilds don't work, but also at the same time, two things can be true at the same time, lots of Stanley Cup winners have rebuilt. And the only thing I would add, and with the nature of this league where only one out of 32 teams ends up winning at the end of the year, 
You could also list a bunch of teams that have been stuck in that murky middle for a long time without getting out of it. Right. And I like the word you used, Wes, organic. If it if you're bad organically, that's one thing. But if you're trying to be bad to get a top five pick, I, I just don't like that direction. No, so, and, and, you'll, and you won't see that. Here. We're, we're 11 games in. If they lose the next six, then I think you have to pivot. I, I absolutely do. Or if you're six or eight points out of a playoff spot, 20 or 25 games into the season, yeah, you're probably going to have to pivot and punt on this season. doesn't necessarily mean a full-blown rebuild. It, I think it would be a retool on the fly. But I just think 11 games in, where you've probably already hit rock bottom, knock on wood, between absences, injuries, suspensions, not being able to find a way to win. As constructed, I just don't see the Flames being any worse than they've been already this season. I I think they're going to get better. But if they don't, then I think you do, at some point in time, have to reevaluate and go in a direction you probably didn't think you would have to or or didn't want to. How how many bar tables is this debate happening around over the next few months in Calgary? I don't... It's funny you bring that up. And Cam, we're we're definitely going to go over the top of the hour now, but... um, I and, and maybe this is wrong. Maybe I'm and, and maybe just because of the the medium that we do a, a, a podcast and a show called Flames Talk and a post game show called Flames Talk. Maybe maybe likely the sample size is skewed and, and very very uh, not broad. But I read our text line. I read our text responses to this conversation. I listen to the phone calls. I see. The, the response is on X. It's the first time I ever called it X before Good for you. Um That's a rebuild for you, buddy. <laughs> very slow. <laughs> it, I, I don't think anybody wants the status quo, and I don't think there are very, very many who are at this point believing that the status quo can be a Stanley Cup contender. Playoff, playoff contender in that they might make the playoffs, sure, but I don't, do any of us believe this can be a Stanley Cup contender? With with what they have built right now, I mean, how could you at three seven and one sit here and say three seven and one when your goalie's arguably been your best player and he has one victory and say, ah, I think this team's a contender. You know what, Pat? I know we're over time, but I listen after every home game. I drive home to yeah. Cochrane and I listen to uh, the Colin Show on Flames Talk, and you know the team had lost six in a row, and people who were really high on the Flames at the start of the season were out. Blow it up. If they were to win six in a row, where do you think those people would stand then? Right? And and if you're Murray Edwards or John Bean or Craig Conroy, you can't you can't make moves because of a hot and cold fan base. And that's the beauty of being a fan. Trust me, as a big Dolphins fan, I was sky high prior to Sunday, played a pretty good game, almost beat the world champion Chiefs, and I feel like I'm at rock bottom by Sunday afternoon. So I, I get it. I, that's the beauty of being a fan. But if, if you're an owner or a president or a general manager, you, you can't have those wild swings. And I think you, at some time, some point in time, do have to change course if things aren't going the way you thought they would. But I also think you have to, to make sure you've got a big enough sample size before you, you pull the trigger and do that. And, and that's fair. I, I think, and I shouldn't, act like I speak for the masses, but I, I think what 
the the consensus or, or what the general feeling out there is is if this doesn't get turned around, don't miss your opportunity to start to impact. Some I don't change. think they will. I really don't. I think they're ready to do it if they have to. I think that do you guys get that sense too. Yeah, I, and I, I, I I think that not only I think they're I think they're leaning in that direction as as we speak right now. I really do because I think that. Again, it's not just 11 games. It's 82 from last year, too. And I think, and I do think that they're looking at it like that, too. And that, okay, benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. Grant. But you can't forget that Jonathan Huberto only had 55 points last yeah. year. So I, I think that while you still want to see if this year can be better and you still want to see if this year can be a rebound for a lot of guys, at the same time, you can't also forget what happened last year either. Fair. And if they do end up going in that direction, as much as, as I'd love to see them bring in some draft picks, some first-round picks, uh, second-round picks, third-round picks, whatever, I'd also like to see them bring in some known quantities or more known quantities, high-level prospects, guys who may or may not be NHL-ready, but who you know more about than a lottery ticket, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think it has to be a combination of the two. I don't think you can just buy a bunch of lottery tickets, cross your fingers, and hope for the best. I, I think I, I generally agree with you. Just make sure you're going younger. If yeah. you're going that direction, you're not trading Noah Hannafin for someone else's first pairing defenseman, unless that's unless that's a 23 year old kid. Right, you got to get younger. But then, if you're trading Noah Hannafin, you're probably not trading him to a team who would give up another first like yeah, they're looking not. for to, to bring one in not to send one out it's what it it's the hard part of what is upcoming if they go that direction is then taking these really good pieces and finding out in a a cap strapped system how to really make the most yeah because there's teams that are going to want these guys but what are they going to be able to do yeah all right well that was fun that was a good yeah, chat it was fun Look at Frank Saravalli just completely redirecting our round table. I like it. Um, and I'm sure that, as, as Derek said before we started, I'm sure that we'll have a similar conversation again in the not-so-distant future, yeah. too. It kind of feels like might be that type of year that we have a few of these types of conversations. So why not on November 7th? Yeah. I uh, I imagine we haven't thrown that one around for the last time. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, he's Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. That is your Daily Flames Roundtable, and it's brought to you, as always, by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024.